Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Online Warriors podcast. This week, before we get into the latest news and topics, we have a special guest with us today, Emmerich Toa, the creative director of The Game Bakers. You may know The Game Bakers from their Smash games like Fury and Squid's Odyssey. And today, we're here to talk to Emmerich about their latest release, Haven. Emmerich, thanks so much for being here today. Hi, thank you for having me. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into game development? And what sort of background you have? So I started being more like a web designer and a usability designer. And then I got into Ubisoft through the playtest structure where you basically watch actual players play mm-hmm. early versions of the games and note and observe everything that goes wrong and report it to the dev teams. So that's I did that for for a while. Then I became a game designer, and then became like a director of design or something. And eventually, I made a couple of games with Ubisoft. And after a while, I quit because mobile games were starting to be a thing, mm-hmm. and that meant I could make games with a small company that I would create. In 2010, before that, it was almost uh, it was very difficult for a, a small team to distribute games by themselves. But then it became possible, and I got excited. And yeah. then, with my partner Audrey, we left Ubisoft and, and started the Game Bakers. Wow! So now it's been almost 11 years. That's awesome. And I mean, the Game Bakers has put out some really amazing games. Can you kind of give us some insight as to what it was like starting your own studio like that? And what was your driving vision behind the games that your studio started to make? Well, after making so many, let's say, war games or uh, realistic war games with Ubisoft, Mm -hmm. we really wanted to go the opposite way because we don't like it's not really our kind of games by nature. Mm -hmm. So when we started with Squids, it was colorful, it was cute and and uh, that was a big uh, something important. After making so many dark and gray and brown shooters, I wanted colors, and that, I think that stayed uh, in the Game Bakers game. I, I always go for vibrant colors and more like a fantasy setting rather than realistic. Mm-hmm. And gameplay-wise, I'm more influenced by Japanese kind of design, so I tried to put a really gameplay first in the games we made and I think the vision that ties all this together is uh, that I don't see our studio to be like an entertainment product company or something like that. Mm -hmm. Neither a 100% art studio but more like a craftsmanship. We try to blend a bit of our own guts and soul in the game but also we care about the experience for someone who is not us. So yeah, we try to um, to make something that's outstanding, but also personal, but yeah. also rich that reaches other people. I mean, I think that's shined through in every single game that you guys have developed, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Thanks, yeah. With that said, what games inspire you personally? And what's the game that you would say has had the biggest influence on you as a gamer and developer? Right, like I said, it's mostly Japanese games. I've been influenced by, I mean, I'm not so young. I'm <laughs> almost 40. So I grew up with um, the Japanese 
you know, NES, uh, mm -hmm. Sega games and everything. I've been really heavily influenced by Japan, be from video games or manga, anime mm -hmm. or food, architecture, history, language. So it's really important. It's something important in me to, to design this way. And the games that really influenced me are uh, all Japanese games from Shinji Mikami, for instance, the Resident Evil series. The old one, but also Resident Evil 4, mm -hmm. uh, Vanquish and God End. Uh, you can for sure see that in, in Fury. In Fury as well was influenced by Metal Gear Solid 3, who had, I think, one of the best boss lineup ever. Oh yeah, for sure. And I discovered Yoko Taro games and uh, the first uh, near game while doing Fury, actually. Someone told me, ah, it makes me think of this game. And then I played it and we, it was really long into three was almost done, but I, I played this game. And I was like, wow, the music, the atmosphere, the gameplay. The game had a lot of flaws, but it's still one of my favorite game ever. And I think, mm -hmm. yeah, I like a six out of 10 games or, you know, the 70% mm -hmm. ranked game that are still filled by something from the designer. And Atlus, of course, has a big influence on uh, Avon, Katrin, or uh, Persona games. So all these kind of games have a strong influence on, on our games, I think. Which probably explains why we love your games so much, too, because we love pretty much a lot of those same games. So <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. So your latest release, Haven, stylistically, obviously, you kind of have similarities between all of your games, but in terms of mechanics and subject matter, it's a little bit of a departure from your previous hits like Fury. What was the inspiration behind Haven specifically, and what encouraged you to kind of make that pivot to a more story-driven game? I think one of, not one, but the thing that influences me the most to start a new game is something from my real life. So Fury was for sure a strong, like it's a bit of everything. There is lots of influences, but one of them was, I don't know, some kind of being bullied experience mm -hmm. in my youth and wanting to, wanting to fight back and get free from someone who is bullying you. Mm -hmm. So Fury tells that story in both ways. Like you start being bullied and you end up the bully and, it's all about getting free from that and fighting for that. And once I had done that, then I, I was thinking I have always wanted to tell a love story, but I wanted to tell a story about an existing relationship, which is, uh, I mean, it's never been done from what I know in video games and it's very rare in movies as well. Mm -hmm. I always want to tell the story of boy meets girl and what happens when they start to be in love. But I wanted to tell a story about fighting for that love and where do you draw the limit? Where does it start? What, what, what would you do and where would you go to, to save that kind of relationship? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring that relatable and mature romance in a video game because I love games where there, are, uh, there is a, a love story, but I've always thought that they were told for younger audiences and I wanted to I don't know bring a bit of more um, something relatable for a 20 30 year old or more person I think you definitely succeeded there I mean we obviously been together for 
going on almost a decade and it was really refreshing to see a story about like you said a relationship that isn't just fresh and new but actually shining a light on the endurance of love which was great yeah and i wanted to tell also like in rpgs i'm always curious what happens in between the dungeons like when they go back to the inn and and go to bed what what does do the hero do and i wanted to tell that part what's the couple of hero doing between their you know fights and exploration mm-hmm. i always want to bring something that's kind of new i think it's our as as indie game developers it's our our goal our role to do something a bit risky that a AAA wouldn't wouldn't do so you mentioned how we actually got to see the conversation between the two main characters you and Kay, even when you know they went back to kind of their home base and they were just cooking and doing kind of mundane tasks And that was one of the things that we loved about Haven playing it together was that the conversations and the dialogue between the characters felt super authentic. So how did you find the right dialogue balance and how did you find the right way to tell their story? That was a very difficult part because I knew I wanted to do that from the beginning, but it's really not easy to write, actually. So we worked with... um, three different writers before we found the fourth one, Pierre Corbinet, mm-hmm. who, I mean, it's all credits to him. He, he's really talented for especially that, writing romance dialogues that are relatable and funny and authentic. So um, once he started writing, I was like, okay, got it. <laughs> it's been two years. Uh, now we know what we're doing. But before that, it was difficult, but... There is a part of game design that's there. And and for most people, they don't see it as game design or they don't see it as gameplay because it's not a challenge that you need to overcome. But constructing, building the structure of the game around the preparation before you go explore, you wake up in the morning, you choose what to cook, then there is a little dialogue, you answer the dialogue options, mm-hmm. then you take some items, you prepare some uh, eating items, maybe combat items, you go out, you go explore, some story happens again, they talk when you glide, the whole system of gliding and following threads, and it's it's built to feel like you are skiing together, so it's both chill and beautiful and and they hold hand when they can and everything then you fight together like you as a player you control both characters at the same time or you play co-op and you have to organize yourself and synchronize yourself with your partner and then you come back you rest you heal your wounds you go to bed you sleep together there is a little story again so all this it's it's game design it's not actual challenge but mm-hmm. it's uh, a whole game structure designed to make you feel that you are part of that couple and that's everyday life so i'm really glad that you mentioned playing together and doing everything together we actually played haven together from start to finish in co-op mode but the game can be played solo as well how did you balance the control schemes and action to make sure that it felt natural no matter which way that it was played well to be honest i it started as a solo game the whole thing I, I, I took, I, I said I, want, I wanted to make a game about a couple. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted it to be, the, the, the player would be both characters. And I wanted both characters on screen at all time. I don't want to do a split screen, something like that. I wanted both characters to be the hero of the game. And then I took a gamepad 
and closed my eyes and started to press the buttons and think, okay, what, how will I control these characters? And that's how I decided to split the gamepad in half and say, okay, one part is one character, one part is the other. And when you start pressing the buttons like that, it's something very pleasant, uh, almost central to coordinate your sums in, in a, a bit like in a rhythm game. And you're like charging, shielding. And so I started to think about that combat system. Then I declined it for the cooking and crafting. And it started like that. And the gliding went, started after. And once we had it and it was working as a solo player game, we realized it was, it was also a co-op game. We just had to, you know, finish the, the dev for that. But design wise, it worked already. Yeah, as a as a couple, your your goal is really to be in sync with each other in the game, and fantastic job yeah. in doing that. The really hard part was to make the roaming a co-op thing when you glide and explore because of the camera. So we had to to either go for clunky um, controls or split screen. But then we decided, okay, one is gonna lead, the other is gonna be behind, and actually, it's a bit. I think it's fine uh, that it's like when you go on a road trip in, as a couple. I mean, you you have one driving where the other is looking around, grabbing stuff. It feels chill. Yeah. And I wanted that for the game. Yeah, that's how we played it, basically. I mean, because even on a road trip, like you said, you always take breaks and kind of hand off who's driving, who's kind of looking yeah. around and checking out the environment. So it, w- it was really chill from the aspect of like when one of us got tired of driving, you could pass it off to the other and start collecting things. So it was it was really great. So the world and story of Haven, especially the concept of social construct in the apiary, is super intriguing. The ending of the game, which I won't go into for spoiler reasons, also seems like it could easily transition into a sequel. Any plans to expand on this world further, either in-game format or through another medium? That's, I mean, I am always split between, I always want to make more content, but also feel like as indie devs, we need to bring something new and make a new game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for Fury, we have a huge backstory. We have options for sequels, but we decided we wouldn't do it for Haven. It's the same. We have a huge backstory for every character. We have actually synopsis for lots of updates, but it's a big commitment. If we, if we go there, then we have at least two years of work ahead and we don't want to make anything that's less good. So we, we know we can improve on the comfort, on some of the aspects that we have had feedback uh, since the release. But can we make you live with a stronger memory? That's, I'm not, I, I'm not sure. So it's still in discussion. <laughs> I, can, I can definitely understand the challenge in that. So another thing is that Haven explores a lot of different themes. Obviously, relationships and love, but also the concept of freedom and even humanity's impact on the environment. First of all, what inspired you to cover these issues? And an example of this would be massive oil spills. Were they behind the flow burst? And what do you hope is the biggest takeaway gamers get out of playing this game? Okay, lots of questions. So I think the the, the big theme of freedom is really at the core of the game. It's at the core of Fury, which actually means free, but spelled in Japanese. And it's really a game about freedom and fighting for having somewhere to live and your freedom. And here it's a game about being free to love who you want. 
Haven is, is really about that. To be honest, it's possibly going to end up being a trilogy with another game with this <laughs> big theme explored uh, from another angle. Mm. Uh, I would be excited about that for sure. But the environment, environmental issues, although I really, really care about that, were not that much at the center of the message. They were more like convenient trick uh, to flee the world in islets, to have something to do when you glide. But what the player takes away is, I, I hope they make them think about the freedom, the freedom they currently have, uh, what they would do to keep it, what they would risk. So a big question in, in the game is, would you rather live all your life with your soulmate but only your soulmate or live with other people but never see him or her again? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's uh, always a question I ask myself. And it is, it's a really compelling question. And it was one of those things that stuck with you. And like, I was thinking about that well after we finished playing Haven. So it's definitely a really compelling theme to explore. The other thing that kind of stuck with me after playing the game was the soundtrack. Like I still listen to Haven soundtrack all the time, even when I'm working throughout the day, it matches the tone and aesthetic of the game perfectly. Like you guys nailed that. So what was the creative process like working with Danger to find the perfect soundtrack to fit the world and the story of Haven? It was a lot of work. I already had worked with him uh, on Fury, but here it was a whole OST and not the whole soundtrack and not only two tracks. So the way we worked very early on, uh, he started working with us and I describing the game. I sent brief, I sent videos of references, music, and, and the more we were building the game, the more I sent him videos of the game and tried to give him ideas of the different moods because this soundtrack is built with a much more variety than uh, Fury. It's, I mean, some, some tracks are uh, almost disco funk. Some other are more like dark synthwave. Yeah, for each mood, he would, he would start making small samples of music and then I would give feedbacks, would go back and forth until we had a track. Took, uh, it took almost three years to, to make this soundtrack. And I think I have, I, there is 19 tracks in the soundtrack and I probably have 40 total. Uh, so half of them were uh, kept in the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that was super, super interesting. I, I'm not a musician at all, but after having worked on the Fury soundtrack and this one, I think I now I, I know how to work with a, a musician. But uh, I mean, it's all his talent in the end. <laughs> I just have to say if I liked it or not. Well, it sounds like an awesome experience. I can only imagine like, I feel like I would love to make the soundtrack to my life with a musician who actually is good at music. (laughs) Yeah. So the game released during that kind of transition into the new console generation. What was it like trying to optimize and develop a game for both the quote unquote old and the new consoles from a development standpoint? It's always difficult to to be uh, near a new launch console. doesn't happen often, but I I did... uh... It's my third uh, new console uh, launch. It's always a challenge because uh, technology is not really there. You get the development kit late, especially with uh, COVID. It was uh, pretty difficult to get a, a kit early. But at the same point, it's also exciting and it's also pretty 
easy to optimize for the new consoles because they are more powerful. This, the thing that was a big challenge was the stretch between the Switch version and the PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series version. So basically we had to, to sync Switch first and then we could you know, increase quality on the more recent consoles. So the recent consoles have a better frame rate and a better resolution. It's all 4K and also more grass. You really have more grass in the distance, but also in density. And the grass was really important in the feeling of the game. I think it's uh, it, it's almost the snow in a, in a skiing game. <laughs> it's also pretty complicated because we all work remotely at the Game Bakers. And when you have to work on, uh, you know, five different platforms, we all have a PC, but it's also four different consoles. Five, actually. Yeah, Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series. And you can't have all developers to have five dev kits. So we had to, to help each other remotely with that. A bit of organization, yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, you, you had to optimize it towards, so to speak, the weakest chain and then you know it would work everywhere because everything else was more powerful. Yeah, it's pretty much like that, except you still have always unexpected development. Like, I don't know, we changed the SDK for uh, the Xbox platform, then we had some features to do for PlayStation 5 with the DualSense, and then, uh, you know, there is always something (laughs) that requires extra work. So... The last question, kind of from a development standpoint, Haven actually released directly onto Xbox's Game Pass service as well, which is how we found and played the game initially. From a developer standpoint, have you found Game Pass to be beneficial thus far? Right now, I think it's it's great. Game Pass is great at the moment. It's great for the players, obviously, because they have a huge catalog of, of good, really good games. Mm-hmm. And it's also great for an indie developer because it's a way for us to reduce the financial risk. Basically, they pay us a fee that's guaranteed Mm -hmm. in exchange for the game to be free for a period of time on their platform. So we know we won't make money from the sales on Xbox, but we also have an income, like a a fee that's been negotiated and we are happy with that's that's, uh, we're going to get for sure after the game release. So this is, I think, very good as long as it's one platform out of many others and that we are getting revenue from the other consoles, PC, and so on. Mm -hmm. As soon as it's going to be the leading business model, so if I imagine uh, Sony does the same, Nintendo does the same, I don't know, Netflix or Google or uh, whoever comes into the game. I mean, Google did it already. Or even uh, Steam or Epic or start doing um, games for free with a subscription model. This means after you make the game, the developer doesn't get any more income. So it's, it's going to be like, it's, it's like publishing. They're not indie anymore. They are published by the platforms. And if the platform has an editorial, they all, they all do, they have a vision of what a good game is, where they put a limit, what's acceptable or not, then yeah, it's, it's not uh, indie anymore. You have to sell ideas to people who say yes or no. At the moment, I am entirely free to do whatever I want. And actually, Haven 
we pitched it to 12 of the biggest publishers mm -hmm. and many of them told us we don't want to take the game because it's a weird love story. We'd rather have a, a new relationship than uh, an existing one. And that, <laughs> that pissed me off a lot <laughs> because I thought, well, you don't get what is an indie developer. An indie developer does what's not expected and try to explore new ideas and surprise people and bringing new audiences. Yeah, so I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see though that then it, you kind of lose that creativity and that, like you said, the freedom to innovate and do new things in the game development space. So yeah, I, I definitely see, hopefully maybe Game Pass is just its own little niche, but because yeah, I don't want indie games to be stifled. Like I indie games are some of my favorite titles because like they always do something new and innovative. We'll see. Finger crossed that it doesn't come... Uh become, I don't know, some kind of uh, old subscription everywhere, uh, content is free, or PC that's free, and that's my biggest fear as an indie dev for the future, but I think I still have at least one game to make as a premium paid game. Mm -hmm. We'll see in five years. So this is the final question, and it's something that we've been asking all of the guests on our show. If you were a real-life superhero, what power would you want to have? Uh, if it was right me right now, I, I would love uh, to be able to freeze time because I always feel like I, I, I lack time. But if I had to be a superhero or to write a superhero new comic, I think I would love to have the power to be fearless you know but really really without fear mm -hmm. you have gotten rid of all your fears all your anxiety you're like new kind of buddha hero and uh i don't know super my name would be Lionheart or something <laughs> like that that would be interesting to, to think of situation where someone who actually doesn't fear anything is saving the day <laughs> yeah absolutely so Thank you again, Emmerich Toa, for joining us today and pulling back the curtain on Haven. You can check out the game on PC, PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch consoles everywhere. And now, on to the rest of our episode. Okay, welcome back. And we want to thank, again, Emmerich Toa, the creative director of the Game Bakers, for joining us for an interview to open things up here and now we are going to move into the news topics the main body of the typical online warriors episode i wasn't around before illegal 86 here tactic and nerve still here as far as i know i don't know i haven't heard them yet but i think they're in here somewhere we're still here hey so we have some things to go through today we're going to talk about this microsoft mesh the super impressive i guess promotional video is what you would call it we're going to be talking about the disintegration dev and some some unfortunate news on their part that just just went down and we're going to be talking about stranger things and stephen king in the same the same news story which alone i think is is pretty interesting but but I want to I want to move now into the Microsoft Mesh, and I want to talk about this video clip because it was probably all things considered three minutes or so. It's one of those things where Nerbomber sent it to me, and I I'm not even sure if I clicked the link with a full understanding of what it was going to be, and like Microsoft Mesh, I don't that means nothing to me. It could be anything, and if I remember correctly, I watched this video admittedly a few days ago, but. There's a very long stretch of time in the beginning of this video where you don't even know what it is that they're advertising. But then you get this reveal, right? 
which is basically just, I mean, Tectic, say it with me, Iron Man tech. That's what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. It's like Iron Man 3 crime scene, you know, where he, where he like... I wouldn't I call it Iron, Iron, Iron Man, Man 3 let's first, just Let's just call it what it is. Future tech. Future tech. A- a- augmented reality tech. That, and, and, you know, th- this video goes into a number of different applications. You got people like fixing a car in different locations. You got this lady working on like a solar array. You have physical therapy sessions that are aided by not only the, the mesh itself but by other seemingly physical tools i don't know what to think like that that my my main takeaway from the video of course i was i was wildly impressed i was nerding out i was again thinking of iron man and all the ar stuff that he uses to build the suit and you know i mentioned the crime scene thing in iron man 3 i don't know why i mentioned that one first but he has all these like ar things that he does and I guess the main question I have, I'm, I'm so excited, but how realistic is this? I don't want to get, I don't want to be fooled here. So and that's my immediate, like, gut. I'm like, man, this is, might not be real. For me, I think there's fairly limited applications on it. And what they are, are as follows. The standard boardroom table where everyone just wants to kind of see each other, which not really yeah, a like big Avengers. deal. But the big one that, that I think is exciting is solid modeling. I think sometimes it's nice to project something to what would be to scale because I do a lot of solid modeling in my day job. And honestly, sometimes when you're, when you're working on the same dimension, if it's a really small part, you kind of lose sight on how small that is in reality. And then you, you throw it over to a machinist to make, or you try to make it yourself. And you're just like, Oh, I am, I am sorry that that is as tiny as it is. Right. No pun intended. You need a sense of, of, of scale. Incidentally, my nickname in high school was Solid Model. <laughs> so, okay, I'm glad that got a laugh, but, um, at least from the person who's on this show with me. I don't know if the audience laughs when I tell stupid jokes like that. But, I, well, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, having done, I don't do it in my quote-unquote day job, but having done some, I guess, primarily during my educational time, my college days i can certainly see what you're saying in terms of solid modeling you, you get a you have added benefit and that you get to see things at scale as well as architectural type thing but again to me that kind of goes back to solid modeling i think the applications are much i think you might have had a list that you didn't finish but like there's countless applications right anything collaborative i think this is huge anything that you need to sit down if you're going through a presentation even being able to quote unquote stand in front of a group of people or see that person and it would make zoom meetings so much more well in some cases bad because i don't always like to get dressed up and i look kind of ratty when i'm wearing my pajamas for zoom meetings but i mean being able to have that physical presence with people around you could be great and even some of the applications they showed in this video like doctor's appointments yeah we have telehealth but sometimes for like injuries and stuff obviously things like looking internally like in your ear or something and in your mouth if you have like a sore throat that's not still super feasible but like if you're like hey can you take a look at my foot like does this look weird did i break my toe or did i just stub it like i did over the summer and a doctor could just take a look at it in real time and be like oh you know that that looks pretty weird but you could do that over Zoom. I guess. Theater, but I mean, it would be being able to see it in 3D, I mean, it would just be easier. I don't really know how how well it shows. Like, So it's a it's an augmented reality of projecting what you're looking at it. So how, does, how do the people see what you look like? You'd have to have a, another right. camera in the room pointing at you with some kind of motion tracking. So that's one thing I struggle with. And then another thing that I just found 
all around hilarious was the peons who couldn't afford the mesh had the janky vr avatar <laughs> cartoon avatar which <laughs> right. we laugh at those peons i mean I, yeah what i was getting at what i was gonna get at I, you know i think technically you're asking the right question how does it i mean i guess the broad question is how does it work but like See, I, would assume... I don't know i don't know if that's that far out of scope because if you look at some of the vehicles out there there are now cars where it digitally reconstructs your vehicle so when you're looking at your dash cam and you're trying to parallel park like you see your vehicle and it's real time because somehow they've got good enough sure. fisheye camera view that they can do it well there, there's that and there's there's things like like whole room vr setups where you you place cameras in certain locations and to some extent and admittedly limited extent they can construct this 3d environment that you're that you're within but like let's take the car as an example okay i what i'm wondering is i see that i don't remember again the, the nitty-gritty details of the video is it a real car is there a way for you to if you're the mechanic in the shop you have presumably this mesh setup can you tell the mesh in a tony stark way or in some other less cool way okay give me a wireframe of this car or give me you know do whatever it is you do x-rays probably not x-rays but like x-ray cameras you know ultrasound lidar whatever you have to do get yourself a piece-by-piece model of this car that i can then essentially turn into a holograph and then everyone who's with me on on meshes can look at it and i don't know like that's what i want to know i i i do think that being able to sit in the same room as people in a more functional way than zoom is has utility too i mean we've we've observed this year that zoom meetings just simply don't achieve the same exact thing as in-person meetings do but i think the cooler thing i think probably the harder thing too certainly the harder thing is being able to digitally recreate things that are in the room with you i mean they also show i think at one point they showed like an entire model of a town and they were like all talking about the same model of a town like or city planners or something i don't really know what the implication was but that's another example where and in iron man 2 he actually does this you get this this wireframe thing that you can pull off of it and then you have this manipulatable projection and that's the goal that's the end goal how reasonable that is how feasible this seemed it seemed like they were hinting at that but i don't know how attainable that is i don't know if they were really just touting a glorified vr or if they were touting something that can do those things i don't know it's exciting either way i mean i don't i don't want to rain on the on anyone's parade of course you have to also think about recreational uses for it too i yeah, wish like they'd have done that dirty more. stuff not, <laughs> that's not i i meant like escape rooms or something yeah that's know? what i was like, talking about imagine god imagine escape rooms imagine you can have an escape room in your own house where you can put on a mesh and flip the little glasses down like they did a million times in the video and certain objects are placed around the room that you can walk over to and pick up and manipulate pick up these projections again Yu-Gi-Oh I mean, would be dope yeah you, any game really Yu-Gi-Oh would game. finally be like Yu-Gi-Oh in the show if you're listening right. Yugi make it happen there's a person named Yugi. I I was never into Yu-Gi-Oh. Full, full, and the, the main character, but wasn't Kaiba the one who made all the tech? We're we're way over a legal side right also now. Also Pegasus too. Miles oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I know they had the little card sleeve things, right, where the cards would come out. Man, I like always wanted one of those as a kid. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the thing. When you look back on stuff like that, all I remember is the merchandise. And the, were they, was that the one with uh, Heart of the Cards? They always talked about the Heart of Ooh, the Cards. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dark Magician would always come out when everyone Heart of the Cards. Blue eyes, white dragon. That's Kaiba, you chill. Anyways, the Microsoft mesh. <laughs> um, 
I, I mean, this looks cool. I don't remember. Did do we know if the trailer gave like a? It's coming out. I mean, it's going to cost like a billion dollars. Right? I don't think it had a date. And I got to be honest, I'm not confident that we'll ever actually see this in consumer applications. Because that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I didn't want to get my hopes up. Like the Hololens, we saw the same thing. Where I remember when they first trotted out the Hololens, and I'm sure some of that tech was used to develop this. But I remember thinking this is going to be such a game changer, and then it never came out. Or if it did, it was such a limited run that I don't think a lot of people had access to it. Plus, it's fairly easy to make your own AR technology if it's too expensive for you guys to get. I'm going to have a shameless plug. Plug. Check it out, guys. Tinker Room Tech Tick. Did you say shameless plug the first time? Shameless plug. Shameless plug. That's a good, that's a YouTube idea right there. I feel like that's going to be my new thing moving forward. Like, I'm going to just embody the shameless plug. Have no shame, be a plug. Yep. It's a win-win situation. You remember Google Glass? Remember that? Yeah, exactly. That was another thing. I think they're still out there. Like there are people who have Google Glasses, but I don't I don't think they're very widespread. I, I tried a Google Glass on for like five seconds. Was it cool? Did you feel futuristic? It, here's the thing. It was it was I knew the per, the person I knew who had one, it was like in beta and like he knew a guy who knew a guy. It was that sort of thing. And I think he was like in the process of like shutting it down or something when he let me, I it was the moral of the story is I tried it on and all I could see was like a blue screen and it was like, you know, it did the thing that oh, ran on windows supposed to do. It, it, it had like, the, it was projecting the screen in front of you. It was this, you know, it's, it operates based on like basically optical illusions. Right. And it was doing that. But what was on the screen was not interesting. So I was like, this isn't interesting. And that's when I'm, whenever I think of Google glass, you know, let alone the fact that it petered out, I always think, Man, what a waste. <laughs> because when I tried it on, all I saw was a blue screen. I agree, though, Nerdbomber. I think that commercial application... I, I think they want us to think that. I, like, I do wonder what Microsoft's angle is giving us this video with no pricing, no release date, no anything, no specifics. Just like, hey, we're working on some cool stuff that you probably will never be able to use yourself. But we're making life better for someone. I don't like. It's. I, I don't... What's the message? I wonder if it's just to get people hyped about the future, like thinking about how Microsoft is going to be I'm embedded. Hyped about the future. Well, yeah, but like to give future. a reminder, like the high tech future is closer than you think. You know what I mean? I mean, I know so we live in the high tech future, but like, you know what I mean? I just want nanobots in my bloodstream to monitor my health. It's I mean, fine. Google Glass basically did the same thing. They were like, the future is now. Get ready. And then guess what? I'm ready. I'm here. But you know what? Where is it? Why don't people work on making VR better so I don't get motion sickness? It's a tough sell. Get uh, that one first. If you can conquer VR, then you can make AR more compelling too. I, I mean, so I, I, don't, I have limited experience with AR. Like, okay, it's Pokemon Go counts as AR, right? Technically, yeah. Technically, there's a lot of stuff that counts as AR, but it's It's a not, wide field. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Pokemon Go is like, I'm sorry, not that much of a technical achievement. <laughs> I mean, it is, but like compare that to Microsoft Mesh and it's like, you know, you're in different galaxies. I don't know. How cool would it be, though, to not even just talking about Marvel, talking about things like Star Wars, like holographs, just make holographs happen. We've I, I feel like people have been trying to do it for ages. I would think given the resiliency of like the collective human mind and spirit, whatever, we'd have it by now. It must be really hard. I mean, makes sense that it's really hard, but come on, Microsoft. I want to be Iron Man. You need to try harder. That's all. Too real, man. Or just buy Iron Man VR, like Tactic we'll talk about later. <sighs> no spoilers. Spoiler alert. Well, we're going to move on now from Microsoft Mesh, and we should talk about 
disintegration. So this was, <laughs> I feel like I'm going into the news topics, basically saying how I was told about them by Nerd Bomber. But again, this is what happened. I do not remember this game. And I, since Nerd Bomber told me about this news, I had to go look it up and I watched the trailer and she insists that we talked about it. <laughs> still don't still don't remember it. So the news here is the developer of this game, Disintegration, V1 Interactive, uh, shut down. And this and this was a game, Disintegration was, where it was being developed primarily by the founder, Marcus, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, Marcus Leto, Leto. This guy worked on Halo. Okay. And this is a, you've got a pretty impressive pedigree. And he put together this game called Disintegration. Seems like the, the gist of it is you can put your consciousness into a robot and also in doing so you have you are helping to save humanity because you're starting some rebellion against some rayon people or whatever i watched the trailer and i was like notably unimpressed combine that with i didn't even hear about this or know about it or remember about it it makes sense that this i'm sorry this is harsh it makes sense that these that these guys got shut down (laughs) it also released in a pandemic that doesn't help see i'd argue that it helps we did talk about this extensively around E3 and whenever this game was announced. And I remember being really excited and we all were really excited because we were big fans of Halo. So we were like, oh, this looks really cool. I mean, this guy, like you said, has a great pedigree. And I actually, I had really high hopes for this game. I thought it would be something cool. Then it came out and it got like middling reviews and I still always intended to play it. Then the multiplayer got shuttered and like, I'm not a big multiplayer person anyway. So that part didn't bother me. I really just wanted to focus on the single player, but I had heard that the single player was lackluster and it, it always seemed like a game where it couldn't decide exactly what it wanted to be. If it wanted well, to have like a narrative right. story or if it wanted to be multiplayer. And so that wasn't super attractive to me, but this makes me sad for a couple of reasons. So one, the sci-fi genre, this gave me very, well, obviously like Halo-y vibes, but very like Destiny slash Anthem It does have a Destiny thing going on, yeah. And that kind of stuff, like I love that genre. I think that genre is super cool. And I know we have, I just said Destiny and Anthem. It's it's overpopulated. That's what I was about to say. See, Um, I don't think it is. I think it's underpopulated right now. I don't think a game like this, like it it gave me kind of Mass Effect vibes. And that's kind of what I was hoping for, but not You're just naming other franchises that are better that are better than it. And that's what right. the issue is. And it was just kind of disappointing. But secondly, I'm also sad because I like seeing double A games. I don't know about you guys, but back in the, the last few generations of consoles, I didn't always just go for the triple A games. I mean, I feel like now you either have triple A or indie and there's not a whole lot in between. We're missing that double A experience. That and I agree with. I, I feel like this maybe got judged kind of harshly because yeah it wasn't a 10 out of 10 game but it was just like an average like i think most of them the review scores were around like a six which is fairly average i mean it's not bad it's just not great and that's what you kind of get out of those double a experiences and i want more of those maybe that's just me the bar has been raised that that that's the thing i i think somewhere along the way and and maybe it was after the previous generation where you saw more double a games someone realized that you either need to make these games on a shoestring budget and make indie games or you need to throw the kitchen sink at it in terms of production value in terms of ip spend a lot of money to make a lot of money the fact is there's someone realized that there's a lot of money in this i think is what the driving force behind this is because i think you're right i think there aren't a lot of middling reviewed double a games 
I'm not sure I want those as much as you do. I, I certainly wouldn't say no to them, but I also wouldn't pay $60 for them. And that's uh, relative to everything else that's coming out relative to, you know, th- things we talked about in the past few weeks. Look at what state of play looked like a couple weeks ago. And granted, that wasn't a lot of, you know, AAA big franchise titles, but they were very, very polished games. And Disintegration, you mentioned, couldn't decide what it was. This started as an RTS. And it ultimately turned into a first-person shooter, I suspect, because this guy, not to knock him, probably realized that's what he was good at. I think the story, I think the premise has a lot of potential, but as I watched the launch trailer, graphically, I was not impressed. And as they discussed the story that surrounded that premise, I felt like I had heard it a hundred times. For me, it was the combat that I just, I couldn't get really into. It just seemed... And and I know this this probably this answer seems very obvious and transparent, but it it felt too at a distance. I like to get up close and personal, and just be in there, and it, you just kind of feel like you're pew 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 right. pew, and that 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 that's missing for me. I need the close quarters combat. See, I see the combat. I didn't. I, I watched this one launch trailer. I haven't watched any gameplay footage or anything. It may be unfair of me to come down so harshly on this, but for a cinematic launch trailer. I expect to be dazzled and I expect, especially in the sci-fi genre. I mean, Nurbarmer, I have to disagree with you again. I think it's, I think if anything, it's one of the more crowded genres. And I think it's crowded with a lot of great franchises that you mentioned. And those franchises have worked very hard to earn dedicated fan bases. And they've accomplished that through things that disintegration at immediate first glance seem to lack. I'm, I'm not happy that that studio died. I want to be clear, but when I look at what happened and also considering the fact that the multiplayer died, I think three months in that's for a game like this, which is not a halo clone, but clearly halo inspired. That's the kiss of death. It seems like this has been a long time coming. I'm just going to miss. I I feel like, and this is something that we discussed in our interview with Emmerich before was, I feel like the indie and the double A space is where developers can really try out new things because you're not beholden to this massive corporation and making sure that your game is 100% polished. You can try new things and maybe it won't work, but like you at least tried something new that maybe can be incorporated in a new game. And I feel like that's that's one of the major reasons like, okay, maybe we don't need subpar average games, but I feel like it at least is a playground for developers to right. try something new. I'm and not totally 100% sure argument. what was new with Disintegration, but maybe there was something new in there and everybody just missed it. We will never know. The premise was great. I will say I, I, I liked the premise of you're a robot with a human conscious, consciousness. But as the story wound on from there, at least again, in this microcosm that I saw, I was like, okay, this is the same old song and dance of many other games. <laughs> And, 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 you know, that's me. I'm a very story-focused guy when it comes to games. But introducing new elements in combat would also be a way to attract new players. And it it might be a marketing failure. Maybe they did that and it didn't come through. Marketing is hugely important with these with these sorts of things. Like Because like you said, I, I'll, I'll acknowledge, Nerbummer, this could have been an amazing game that people just didn't know about. And as a result, it didn't establish a, a big enough player base and it died. I don't know whose fault that is. I'm not sure if it's the developer's. I'm not sure if it's a parent company that I, it might be no one's fault. It might just be bad, plain old bad luck. But I can totally agree with what you said uh, as far as uh, indie games provide it too. But indie games and AA games provide playgrounds for people to come up with new things. And I'm going to talk in my What Are You Up To? No spoilers about what I think is an indie game that is different than any game I've ever played before. And it's fantastic. And 
indie games have a way of flying under the radar too where i'm not sure if anyone has looked at this game necessarily and said i'm gonna take this mechanic and apply it somewhere else i wish someone would but yeah it's you know it's it's not great news developers dying it's not anything you want to see especially during pandemic times it does seem like the the staff had warning based on the article that i'm reading which i guess is the best thing you can hope for it wasn't a very sudden thing and again you know online support had been shut down for a while now but i don't know it's also kind of a uh, not a cautionary tale but you would think the guy who purportedly was played a big role in halo could do no wrong to an extent evidently he can do wrong I'm, i'm not again i'm not trumpeting that but be warned big game people i don't know always do good work (laughs) i don't really know what i'm trying to say but with that in mind we can move into the break but before we do of course i would be remiss if i did not mention our fantastic patreon producers give them their shout outs ben shackness stephen keller what's up guys nice talking to you again it's a pleasure to do so and we thank you for supporting us at the night level which is the highest of our three levels so steven and ben support us on patreon at the highest of our three levels and as a result they get this patreon shout out in the middle of every episode they get input into our weekly game segment and they of course also get access to the monthly secret segments and vlogs there's also a squire level which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog and then there's also a page level which gets you access to the monthly secret segment so for the details on that head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast check out the night squire and page levels Join us at the round table. Other such medieval phrases. Thanks again to Stephen and Ben. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. And we will talk about Stephen King and Stranger Things. Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetic supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, The Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off your next purchase by using the code P-O-D, that's code P-O-D, for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod.list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. Okay, so, Stranger Things. It's been a while for us in Stranger Things. I mean, season three... Gosh, that wasn't last year, was it? Wasn't that two years ago? I mean... I think it was at least a year and a half ago, because Tactic and I binged it during one of the lockdowns. <laughs> but I remember we were, like, very behind the times, and we got super into it, and we watched the entire series. So it definitely has been at least a year. I believe season three was 4th of July 2019. Don't quote me on that. But I know one of them came out basically on 4th of July. In any case, this is not stranger things season four news i potentially misled all the listeners just now this is about the duffer brothers the duffer brothers are the creators of stranger things and they have found their next project fittingly so considering the very clear stephen king influences on stranger things they will be working on a show based on the stephen king novel the talisman now i have not read i I, for those that do not know i had i own basically every single stephen king book that has been published my amazing girlfriend got them for me as a birthday gift last year two years ago can't even remember but i have not read this one i will read the brief synopsis here 
The fantasy novel The Talisman follows a teenage boy named Jack Sawyer searching for the talisman, an object that can heal his dying mother and save the world. Sawyer journeys across America and, quote-unquote, the territories, a grim parallel world to our own. Now, first of all, that sounds familiar. The Upside Down, anyone? I don't know if, if that, you know, I don't know if Stranger Things takes inspiration from the talisman at all, but that sounds fairly similar. But we should we should talk about this because Stranger Things is obviously a phenomenon, but it's unclear. I would say it's unclear if the Duffer Brothers can do it with a known quantity. If anyone can provide good source material, I would say it's Stephen King, although we've observed a range in quality in his adaptations. But I trust it in the hands of the Duffer Brothers, I would say. And also worth noting as a footnote, season four is expected to premiere later this year of Stranger Things. I didn't know this also, it kind of buried in this article. Robert Englund, who I believe is Freddy Krueger, is apparently in season four of Stranger Things. All right. It's news to me. I'm with it. That's exciting. I'm very with it. That's strange um, for sure. It's <laughs> right. right. <laughs> That's a stranger thing. But I'm I'm excited about this because I think Stephen King adapt- adaptations, I mean, I don't know. I think you guys were the ones that told me about Pet Cemetery. Was that you guys? Oh, Pet yeah, Cemetery is creepy AF. The original. The, the original. The, oh, yeah, right. The old one. Because I saw the new one and I, it was fine. I, what I'm looking for, here's, here, here, we should, we should put together a wish, a wish list for the talisman. And I don't know if the talisman is particularly scary as Stephen King works go, but by George, I want to be scared. I'm not even that hard to scare. Okay. When it comes to like scary movies and scary television, I don't think I'm like the highest apple on the tree, but I saw Dr. Sleep. I saw Pet Cemetery. I watched The Outsider on HBO, which I actually liked, but that's again, it's not scary. I wasn't scared by any of these things. I don't know if, I think the scariest Stephen King movie I have seen is Misery, which ironically is like the least supernatural. I don't know if, I don't know if that should be considered ironic, but I want to be scared. What can be done? See, that the, the thing about Pet Cemetery, and again, the, the first one, the original, is it's not scary. It's troubling. And that's that. In my opinion, is is something unsettling, that would you say? unsettling is a better way to yeah. put it. And, and that, in my opinion, is something that old fashioned scary movies really hit the nail on. That the new ones just can't come close to. It just you can tell right. that it's 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 all just boo scares. It doesn't really you, you get you jump and then you move on. It doesn't sit with you and, and really fester. So is it suspense? Because because I and I, I agree with you for what it's worth. I think for my money, one of the scariest movies still to me is the original Halloween, which came out like what in the seventies or something. I don't even know. But if you haven't seen Halloween, I mean, I'm not. There's nothing too spoiler about Halloween. It's very slow building. It is like very like painfully to the point that I think it makes you a little uncomfortable. I mean, and it's a little different than I think what you're referring to in terms of like cinema of the unsettling. But I, I that's a great point you know is that's what's is that what's missing because jump scares don't really do it for me at most they make me jump for one second and then i'm like okay it's over i can now fully relax so the build-up is important too i feel like making it seem realistic and like it could actually happen in real life is the thing that gets me like I don't like scary things, period. I think at this point, I've well established that fact. I hate horror everything. But some of the the things that really get me the most are like almost like true crime stuff. So watching like about serial killers, that freaks me out. And I'm not like, I don't need to hear 
or see anything gory. I just need to like hear the story of how real people stalk and slash and do bad things to other people. And that has me like locking my doors, turning all of my lights on, arming my security system and sleeping with a baseball bat, basically. Right. And that's I, I will like that is kind of the core premise of Halloween. It's at least in its premise, it's a thing that could actually happen. It, it, it pretty, I'll admit, it pretty quickly jumps that shark. You know, they made like 20 movies because he can't die, basically. He, he gets shot. He gets like blown up by dynamite. Oh, so many things happen to Michael Myers and he survives. But Misery, and that's why I mentioned Misery being the scariest movie of Stephen King's that I've seen because of that kind of real life. It, it's, it's a thing that could happen in real life, right? Um, and that's, that's certainly scary. But the scariest Stephen King book I have read is probably still The Shining. And I think it's very interesting. That's a totally different story. It's, I guess, a thing that could happen in real life, but it's it has supernatural elements that come into play pretty directly. So I think it's interesting. And for that matter, I watched The Shining, the movie, and I was very unenthralled. It's actually one of my least favorite Stephen King movies, which I know is flying in the face of conventional wisdom. But it's interesting, you know, I hope the Duffer brothers know what they're undertaking. And I think they probably do. But like Stranger Things, it's not scary. And I don't, Nurbomber, you might take issue with that opinion. It's not scary at all. It's not scary. It's, it's fun. It's pulpy, campy, 80s, good times, man. Watch with the whole family. Kids might have to close their eyes one or two times, but it's just, it's, it's good, clean fun for the most part. Initial, I think Stranger Things too, I think it has this, people think it's scary. And I think that's because the first season, and in particular, the first episode treated itself as this scary thing, as this like kind of horror genre piece it very quickly departed from that in my opinion but the duffer brothers have a reputation for that i guess is whether they earned it or not they have it see Um, and they need to be very very careful about how they translate what may be a very scary book and i also don't know how scary they're going to make it are they going to go the stranger things way and say we're going to make this thing toothless i think there's a happy balance because you got to get people to really fall for the characters and that you do that with the playful approach and then you make them grieve and 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 really feel twisted and concerned when things start to happen to those characters. Right. I agree. I, Stranger Things is a, above all else probably a character driven show. And it, you know, it it can be at least tense when you care about the characters. The only way it's ever going to be tense or suspenseful or to some extent scary is if you care about the characters. Nerdbomber, I think you were going to say something. Yeah. Right. So the Talisman I haven't read it. I'm not a big Stephen King buff, but I did read a synopsis of the book and it is set in like a fantasy world and there's like werewolves and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like you don't almost want to make it that scary. Like you want to make it dark and brooding. And I don't know if you've ever read or done anything with the fables comics or the wolf among us, but I feel like if they could pull off that, it sounds a lot like the fables comics where yeah, you have to, like, it's, it's dark, it's gritty, it's it's very, like, a, a noir-y type feel, but now you've got all of these fantastical characters, so I feel like it can't take itself itself too seriously because you, you have, like, werewolves and fantasy monsters. Right. So I feel like the Duffer Brothers are a decent fit here because we've seen they can make things seem really creepy and eerie, but also keep it lighthearted, and I think think and as someone who's never read the talisman i could be totally off base but just from that synopsis that's kind of what i want to see because unlike you guys you weirdos i don't like being scared and i think that would just be more entertaining for me and like with this series 
Can you really draw out jump scares over and over and over again? Right. That, well, and that's that's a good point too. And you know, it's it is worth bringing up. I I haven't read the talisman either. You know, I I think the the plot summary I read on IGN is more it's framing it as like a fantasy adventure. Sounds like you're saying it's a noir thing. Stephen King, I think in the same way that that to some extent that the Duffer Brothers have earned a reputation for horror. I think Stephen King, I mean, primarily he's known for horror and that's well-deserved. He is not hemmed into that genre at all. I would say his genre could be more aptly described as supernatural in any context. And it's often not scary. He has some of his better books recently are actually a set of three detective novels where this guy, this detective is, is tracking someone who ultimately turns out to have supernatural abilities, but it's not scary. You could maybe say the same thing about The Outsider, but he also has written historical fiction. You know, he's written The Dark Tower, whatever you want to call that. I don't think The Dark Tower is particularly scary. I mean, Um, what, The Dome? I think The Dome could be scary. I've never read The Dome. Under The the Dome. I've never read it. The point being, it might be a good fit in the sense that these are creators being paired up who are known for horror, but that's not always what what they're focused on or what they need to focus on. Whether deserved or not, it's what they are known for. It's unclear how closely Stephen King's going to be working with the Duffer Brothers, but I would think he cares. He seems to care about adaptations. As often as his work is adapted, I do think he probably cares quite a bit about what it looks like on the screen, and God knows there have been some really bad ones. So, fingers crossed for both the Duffer Brothers and Stephen King, and for any Talisman fans. Hit us up on the Twitter sphere. If you're if you're a King fan like myself, if you've read the Talisman like I haven't, at OW Illegal Eighty Six, at OW Nerd Bomber, at OW Tactic in our main show account, at Online Warriors One, hit us up there, have a chat with us, talk to us about Stephen King, Duffer Brothers, Disintegration, as we talked about before, Microsoft Mesh, and feel free to talk to us about what we've been up to because that's what we're going to talk about next. We have spoilers for Tactic, or not spoilers, teasers for Tactic and teasers for myself. Uh, tactic i'm going to defer to you here okay so i had a really big week two big things that i'm very very excited about first and foremost i have finally played iron man vr and i was absolutely blown away by it one of the longest i was able to play a vr game without getting any sort of motion sickness i think i logged about four hours into it no problem and i'm gonna be honest didn't play a lot of story just kind of like did my own thing flew around i like in vr i try to like follow the story and be serious but i can't not fool around and like pretend like i'm like tussling people's hair and and things like that so i just have fun with it and 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 the flying around mechanism which i was a little nervous about is sort of pretty intuitive yeah my one my one complaint is and i guess what this would be the same if i were flying is turning around quickly is very, very difficult, but they have quick turn buttons that you can pan, which is sort of disorienting to figure out your zero point, your Mm -hmm. initial position rather. But all in all, it was done very, very well. And honestly, probably one of the best VR games that I've played thus far. They did a fantastic job with it. and, And I've played some pretty good VR games thus far. So very happy with that. Always concerned that I'm going to break my living room, but all in all, very, very happy. So the other, I, you have not, sorry, I just want to, you have not beaten the story, it sounds like. No. I, I, I did play the demo for this. Did you do like the flight training, like where you I go through the rings? I can't get a good time. I have no idea how they get good times in those. It is like, it's funny because I totally agree with you. The, the mechanics for flying are fairly intuitive. They're fairly well done. Guys, it's still really hard. 
Like I, yeah, I think a lot of people easy. like myself, like they, they, they think they're going to get behind these controls and they're going to, it's like, Oh, I've thought about being Iron Man a million times. It's going to be very natural. No. These, there's ways to shave, like, like shave off five seconds here and there. If you, if you hit certain targets and things like that, but like, I'll beat it in like four minutes and it'll be like trial time that you should have got was 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> I, the other thing that I specifically remember and I'm going to want continued feedback from you on this as you go through the game. I remember the demo mission they give you where you're like, you're trying to, I don't know, you're shooting like drones or something. Mm-hmm. I, you just have repulsors. That's all you have. And I assume you get other things as the game progresses. I don't know. Oh, yeah. They did that really well. You have wrist-mounted rockets. You have your repulsor blasters. So, like, the way you shoot the repulsor is you flick your wrist. You 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 hold your palm you, up. The way like you shoot Iron your Man, wrist yeah. rockets is you bend your palm down. Like, all of that was done really, really well. Um, the way you shoot is, your chest cannon is you stick out your chest. Like, they, the the hand motions relative... Are, is that wrong? I think it's actually double triggers. It's been it's been a couple days since, since I played it. I've been busy with other things. But it was all done really well where the motions that you need to do are inherently intuitive to what it should be. But my point... The point I was trying to make, actually... I, again, I totally agree... It's intuitive. I was having such a hard time just with the repulsors, like shooting stuff. Like it, it, you have to get a feel for it. And I can't imagine adding other weapons and abilities on top of just flying around and having repulsors. And I'm sure the game adds those things. So I'm just it gets it gets quite challenging. And you have a limited number of missile rockets, and so right. you want to just repulsor blast and c- conserve them. And you you find yourself while you're just trying to direct your flying and shoot people. And dodge yeah. al- artillery all the time. You keep. I just end up using all of my missiles when I don't want to. Is what happens to me ultimately. Right. The multitasking is a big thing because you're using your hands in part to fly, but you also have to shoot. It gets. It's. There's a lot going on at once. So um, I have a. It's one of those masks for a six-year-old being Iron Man, and it's got a little button. And when you hit the button to to flashlights and have audio, he says repulsor blasters engage if they did that and added like a voice command where i can be like repulsor blast arm cannon and like call them out right switch them i think right. that would help me a lot but i think just practice makes perfect and i'll eventually get say. better at it but nonetheless it sounds like it's a good experience oh it's fantastic 10 out of 10 recommend it folks the other thing that i'm really excited about and i've been mentioning it here and there is my hydroponics garden controlled by raspberry pi is officially done so look forward to a video next month woo woo big ups shout out to the youtube nerd you want to you want to carry us along here yeah so i have also actually been getting into vr gaming so first of all i did start squadrons star wars squadrons i did not play that in vr because i haven't built up my vrc legs yet but i was just playing that and i gotta be honest it's, it's hard. so hard. Yeah. So I am not someone who plays a lot of flight simulators. I'm just not used to, I guess, using a controller to control a plane. Like I'm sure if I had a joystick, it would be fine. But mastering the controls using two thumbsticks, like I want to use the left thumbstick to like move forward in space, but then I end up throttling forward and it's very disorienting because right. you're in space. Like there's no up or down. You're just whatever is relative to yourself there's just a lot going on and so 
that is, it's very difficult. I'm determined to continue forward, but I had to turn the difficulty level down and I still died. So you should yeah. see. It's actually, it's funny you mentioned, I mean, it's kind of a similar situation to what we were just talking about with Iron Man, where I think you just think to yourself, yeah, how hard could this be? I've thought about flying an X-Wing a hundred times. How hard could this possibly be? Oh, it's hard. Guys, it's really hard. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's really hard. I'm. Guys, are it, we just it, not good at flying? Well, that it's one of those. I wasn't gonna say flying. It's one of those games where I was like, I I played it a certain amount, and I'm like, oh my god, am I not good at video games anymore? You ever have those moments? Because they're terrifying. It's like, have I oh, yeah. aged out of video games? Like, can I? Do I not have the the fine motor skills and like cognitive abilities for it anymore? Should I like just go get some hard candy and read a book or something? It's it it it's knocks terrifying. you down a peg. It's one of those games yeah. that really knocks you down a peg. But I'm determined. I will revisit that. But. I did. I took super some cool. Breaks. It's and it's, it, it's, it's so super cool. top notch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So again, same thing as Iron Man. It's like it's really good. It's just man, the learning curve is. It's a thing. Yeah. People who are into flight sims, man, they are not messing around. I don't know if you all just have like the actual gear where you have the flight gear to hook up to your consoles and whatnot, but like, man, I have. I did see there are some like three D printed templates out there and. Tactic now has a 3D printer, so once he sets it up, I want to see if he can print me one of those things that kind of turns your DualShock into a basically flight stick setup because you right. cl- clasp it onto the controller and it turns it into a big joystick. So maybe he can do that and I'll be better at the game. Yeah, don't hold your breath. <laughs> I'll probably still suck. Have you Go played ahead. online at all? Because I can't even imagine. Oh, no. The people online must be ridiculously good. I can't even beat some of the ai the, the easiest yeah. story mode so i am not venturing into the online world of squadron did, did you do the uh, the last thing i did playing that game was i played the story for a while and then i was like i just want to just like tactic was saying i want to just dick around there's this mode you can do where you're just kind of like are flying around oh the training yard yeah and i was like I, I i spent like 20 minutes i think there was there's like this piece of space junk with a hole in it that you could fit you could fly through and I was like, I'm gonna fly through that hole. No, guys, it's 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 hard to even fly <laughs> through a hole sometimes. Like if you're going, That's to, like what I would, he said, I'd be so excited. I'd be I'd be like blasting in there super fast. And I'd be like, oh gee, I got the angle. And then it, if once he realizes you have the angle wrong, it's too late. I mean, I'm, I'm we're describing flying at this point. Like I'm, it's not it's not <laughs> splitting the atom or anything. It's just yeah, squadrons is hard. I totally agree. Anyways, continue. I just. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. So because the the VR headset's been dug out, because, you know, it's one of those things where if it's in the cabinet, it just seems like such a big effort to take it out and play it. But when it's already out, you're like, oh, let's let's have fun. So Tectic dug it out. And then I installed two games, two rhythm-based games that I've been having a really good time with. I feel like everyone's going to think I'm crazy because I'm super behind the eight ball on these. But Beat Saber... Heckin' incredible. It's super hard at the highest levels, but it's so much fun. You feel like such a badass. You look like an idiot when you play it in like real life, but when you're like in the headset, you feel like a badass. You really do. And that, like, I have no words. I don't know. Have you played Beat Saber at all? I haven't. Somehow. And if you've played any VR games, it, it you feel like the new world is around you. But what's really interesting about this one is it feels like you have the world's biggest TV screen in front of you, which somehow makes it like that much more like epic. 
and I can't yeah. quite put my finger on it, but it's it's super immersive and 10 out of 10 recommend. I've realized I have no rhythm, but Nerd Bomber does. So I feel the rhythm in my soul. You, you yeah, said there was another one. I'm, I have a theory. What is it? So this one is box VR. So I was getting a pretty decent workout with Beat Saber. And I was like, you know what? Like there has to be a game out there that actually is a workout for VR. And lo and behold, box VR was on sale. So I bought it and it was also surprisingly legit. And I'm going to be honest, guys, I did some squats and I'm sore now. So it wow. basically, it's the same thing where you have, it's, it's just like Beat Saber. Things fly at you like uppercuts regular punches i don't know what those are called but like the front ones and jabs and jabs all, basically all of these kind of things and then you have obstacles so you have to like duck dodge weave squat and like get under it and i played it for i don't know probably like half an hour after i finished playing beat saber and my thighs they're burning it was a really good workout like i was getting kind of sweaty and i could see this being like a pretty fun thing I'm, did you I'm, not did you not play parappa the rapper back did, in the day no i didn't punch kick punch kick jab jab it was like a rap song so like it's one of those things where well me as a person i have the ring fit adventure i have like the switch boxing i have a bunch of different like exercise things i have a lot of workout equipment in my house but my biggest issue is that i'm not consistent with any of them so my goal is to get so many different things that are fun that when i'm not feeling one thing i can just like ping pong to another and then consistently work out we call right. that in the biz diversifying your portfolio oh yeah i was doing the i was doing the ring fit for a while I was I, I'm not sure if you mentioned that one because I was looking up the VR game I thought you were going to say was Thumper, which is an amazing PSVR. Oh, VR, we have uh, Thumper game, too. That one's fun. Thumper is fun. Thumper's great. Big fan. But the Ring Fit, man, I, I I'm sure I talked about this when I was first started doing it. Which, by the way, not doing it anymore. I, I took a break from it. It's hard. Ring oh, Fit. Oh yeah, it gets it, the blood it, pumping. It gets you going. I was like, it's. I was one again. One of those things. I was like, this is no. This is nothing. It's no big deal. It's a plastic ring what 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 could they make me do it'll be so hard the answer is a lot of things and a lot of things very quickly and if you don't do them quickly and well you die in the game not in real life but or sometimes both like honestly you feel you feel you're gonna pass out which i've been there when i i made the mistake the one day of trying ring fit adventure to work out for like an hour in the morning when i woke up before work and i didn't eat breakfast that was mistake Mm. number one and I had the only thing I had was coffee. So like already mistake number two, yeah, if you're pretty, keeping track, pretty much and worked out for a good hour. And I sat down at my computer to work because this is all like working from home. This is a few months ago. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, oh, oh, oh shit, I'm going to pass out. And I had to luckily in our office recording studio, we have like a futon thing. And I just like had to lay down for a second. Yeah. And I was like, Tactic, give me some Gatorade. I feel terrible. There, look, yeah. the ring fit. And they give you these like condescending, not condescending, but like vaguely condescending, like you've been doing this for 20 minutes. Are you sure you can keep going? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I can keep going. Damn it. And I'm then a, you regret it. <laughs> I'm a healthy human. Yeah. And then like 10 minutes later, I'm like a doughy, sad mess of just sweat and death. And then they like, they check your, they're like, here, put your thumb on this IR sensor. We'll check your heartbeat. And they're just, and like, it takes a few minutes to try and read it. And they're like, we can't even read it. Are you okay? Like that's, 
Which Ring I have fit. to say, that is really cool technology. Oh, it's when awesome. You get it, yeah. When you get it, like it matches my Garmin. So like it's pretty accurate too. The whole thing is, again, top notch. Just very hard. So, so yeah, you. you should definitely try Box VR. It's also very hard. Like I said, my thighs, they're burning. I have to tell a story. I'll save it for a secret segment or, or, or a, I don't know, vlog or something. Last time I ran... Not la- no, I've ran once since then. This was like three weeks ago. I threw up all over the street. So gonna gonna k- keep away from the intense workouts for a while. Uh, on my end of, of update in update land, I don't know. Are you nerd bomber anything to add? Oh no, that was it. I look. I have. I started squadrons. I started fallen order. Sometimes though, sometimes th- things happen in the gaming world. All right, nerd bomber knows this. I know she has a backlog a hundred years long. Sometimes a great opportunity pops up a game you've wanted for years goes on sale for 75% off and you have to do it and you have to try it right then and you get sucked the heck in guys the witness remember the witness this was this came out in 2016 and it was like based on my memory kind of a phenomenon and this is a puzzle game i think the guy who made it is like fairly famous for making puzzle games you're just walking around an island it's ten dollars right now by the way I should well, I should check to make sure it's still ten dollars at the time of this recording or this is released, but it's usually forty dollars. So again, seventy five percent off. This game is amazing, guys. This game is a, a game changer. I like puzzles, but this is so. Th- this game reminds is, me almost identically of a game I bought on Steam of the Talos Principle. Oh, okay. It might be made by the same guy. I honestly don't know. The, again, this guy has made other games that I think are vaguely puzzly. I, I think it's also uh, the game I've heard come up a lot is Mist in reference to Witness, the, the Witness, but I've never played that one either. Guys, it's just you, you walk around an island and it's your, your first person perspective. There's no one else on the island. You're walking around. You, there's all these little boards that you walk up to and you have to trace a line from a dot to a little like nipple looking thing. Yeah, this is the, exactly like this. On so the like- other end of the board. It says games like Witness, Firewatch, The Talos Principle, Braid, Mist. Like Braid is yeah, Braid. The guy made the guy who made the Witness made Braid. It's not at all like Firewatch because Firewatch Firewatch was great. Firewatch is was and is great, but the puzzle, guys. I this game makes me feel really stupid, and I don't think I'm stupid. These are for real puzzles. I will so many things. I want you to come over my house and try. I will fully acknowledge I have looked up a couple of solutions. I'm not proud of it, but I hit my wit's end with some of these puzzles. And it's like, when you look at one single puzzle, it's like a very finite number of paths and a very finite number of things you need to do when you move from this dot to this little nipple looking thing. But my God, my brain leaks out my ears sometimes playing this game. And that's a good thing, to be clear. Strongly advise checking it out. $10. Can't go wrong. So that's one thing I've been doing. I, I want to make one brief mention otherwise, which is uh, I've picked up a new hobby couple new hobbies actually uh, i've started making crossword puzzles which is fun and intellectually stimulating and i also the other day bought a typewriter that i think i'm gonna like tr- it's an older smith corona typewriter for all the typewriter nerds out there i might try and like restore it to its former glory that could be a fun little project for me as the pandemic uh kind of are we uh, talking you know, like you're gonna be machining on. parts type restore no no like- no taking it apart cleaning it making sure all the pieces work, ordering new pieces if any of the pieces are broken, not machining anything. I am not nearly smart enough for that, but it's cool. Moving and shaking over here. So that brings me to the end of my update and the end of all of our updates. And so it is quiz time. And I believe Nerd Bomber is the uh, 
quiz lady today. I, 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 I am. I, Tried to think of a better term than quiz lady, but quiz master, queester. Ooh, no, I'm that sounds. Oh, okay, I, I could see that. I actually so, kind of like quiz lady, but anyways, continue. We actually, so our patrons get to decide our quiz topics, and we had a three-way tie. So I had to take executive power to break that three-way. three-way tie. And this weekend is the infamous Pi Day, so mm. in celebration and in honor. We have some pie-related trivia. And now, unfortunately, I thought about mixing in some, like, actual edible pie, but I just, I'm a nerd. I want pure number pie on here. So, this one is going to be, as you guessed, Price is Right style. We will let Tectic go second because he's still got the losing record out of all of us. So, we'll start with you, Illegal, and then we'll go round robin from there. I accept. Okay. In what year... Was the symbol of pi introduced? I, I always forget how the bust rules work with this. If I go too early, I bust, or too late? Too, too late. late. This is obviously a very long time ago. Symbol of pi. Uh, if, 500 BC. Way back. No. No. I'm going to play it safe and go... It's, it's way after that. I'm going to go 1 AD, but it's definitely in the AD. All right, so Tectic gets it here. Actually, the symbol of pi has only been used mathematically for just over 250 years. Yeah, they used 22 over 7 before that. It was introduced by a wealth mathematician named William Jones in 1706, and it didn't become popular until Euler or Euler. However, Euler. Some, Euler. some people, whatever. It's Euler. Whatever. No one says, no one says Euler. <laughs> you know what? Euler. I do. <laughs> <laughs> until he decided to make it popular and use it in his mathematical prowess. Okay, so Tactic is winning. Look at that. The yeah, next I, question. I blew it. I fumbled the ball on that one. It's okay. You know, there's five more in a tiebreaker. You I can thought like Pythagoras was using this thing or something. That was no, my. No, I don't think so. Well, really? clearly not. I have. I have. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Dog. Oh, okay, Euclid. I don't know. Pick one of those old guys. So what is the record number of decimal places that has been recited from memory by one person? The number of decimal places, you said? Yes. He's sitting here actually going through pi, but I can tell you, Tectic, I don't think you're going to get anywhere close to the world record. (laughs) And so I'm going to guess 300. It's a strong guess, but it's higher than that. 400. All right, you guys are both on the low end. Illegal actually gets this. So the record was actually achieved by a student at VIT University in India. In 2015, he was able to recite 70,000 decimal places. Why? How? How? I, I don't know. He's got a great brain. I don't know what that, to tell I, you. Honestly, that makes me furious. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, but that just makes Raj me so Mina at VIT University is smarter than all of us. So, Or he just used all of his brain capacity to fill it up with pi decimal places. Right. He I forgot mean, how hey. to... He, also, reciting 70,000, did he did he take like bathroom breaks? I mean, gee, good grief. Well, this kind of goes into my next question. I don't know about bathroom breaks, but how long, but did, how it long did it take him to recite that many decimal places? <sighs> well, let's see. Huh? I'm 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 acting like I'm reciting the numbers. Give me a second. I have to do some math on a calculator. God, oh, you're actually. You guys here. are both. I'm watching Tactic pull out a calculator. You're pulling out a calculator. You guys are really sleuthing this one. 
You're looking for a, a time in seconds? Yes. No, wait. Hours. Hours. That changes everything. Uh, six and a half hours. 6.5 hours. Say you. Six point six hours. He's you playing j- it dirty. You jerk. He had a little bit of wiggle room. He actually took an astonishing 10 hours. And actually, to maintain the quote-unquote sanctity of the record, he wore a blindfold throughout the entire duration. So anytime he had to use the bathroom or anything, he had a blindfold on. He couldn't cheat or anything like he was, that. He was spraying everywhere. He, he couldn't see where he was in the dark. So well, good for him. Tactic him has two. Illegal has one. We have right. two more questions and a tiebreaker to go. Moving on to the next one. William Shanks, a British mathematician, worked manually to find the digits of pi. He spent a ton of years trying to calculate it by hand. How many was he able to find? Who's first? I don't think it's me. I'm going to go 75,000. <laughs> 75,000 digits? This is calculating the digits, you know, not reciting, yeah. calculating yeah. them. I'm going like, to go ahead and say 75,000 75, and one. Okay, wow. You guys really think that math was easy, apparently, in the 1800s. This was, this, well, this was what they did back then. They, hey, what are you doing Friday? You want to calculate some digits of pi? So you both busted. He actually only was able to calculate the first 707 digits of pi. What a pi. slacker. Yeah, this guy's... It's like the opposite of Raj, whatever his name is. I mean, I'm not going to say that he wasn't because the next question is that unfortunately one of the digits he found was wrong, which made all of the following digits wrong too. What digit did he get wrong? How many, how many did you say he calculated? He calculated the first 707 digits. So are you asking for like, you want me to say like the ninth digit or the 27th digit? Yeah. You're not asking me for an actual number? Okay. No, no, no. You think I'm going to have you sit here and calculate 707 digits? Uh, yeah. Um, th- th- he he got more than halfway. F- the 512th digit he got wrong. Are oh, you giving way too much credit? I think he got like the 18th one wrong. Illegal, you were scary close. He got the 527th digit incorrect. So you were very, very almost spot that. on. I honestly, I thought you were going to get it exactly right. Yeah, I believe in my guy, William Shanks. So it's two to two, right? We need a tiebreaker. Yep. And I do have a great tiebreaker. And this one, I'm going to put a time limit on this. You have to answer quickly. Uh, you can't use calculators. You can't do any of that. It's a hard limit. Quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like... Wait, so no calculators? No, nope. no thinking. Just kind of okay. right off the bat. Who answers okay, first? No, no calculators. Uh, Is, let's just do same timer. I'm not going to I'm not gonna actually, yeah, yeah, same play timing. that kind of game. What do the first 144 digits of pi add up to? Uh, 1,200,000 and 80. I'm not going to yell over him because you need to hear it. Okay. I'm going to go a cool 2 million. Wow, you guys suck. <laughs> they add up to 666. What? No, but... It, okay. The first what digits? 144. Oh, yeah, we're stupid. <laughs> but i got i got you tactic i had fixed i wasn't even idea. listening i was just hearing your numbers <laughs> well you gotta find another when she break. said Sorry. just just yell an answer i was just like uh. okay you guys put me in a little bit of a pickle but i did find one and now this one is going to be food related in what Damn year it. was the first recorded apple pie recipe written down 1577 200 no yeah, it counts backwards, right? So 200 BC. 
All right, so technically Tectic gets this one. Tecta. It was actually, it dates back to 1381 and it was actually made oh, in man. England, which is interesting because apple pie is one of those things touted as super American, but the we oldest recipe is Wait, from England. Wait, what did you guess? 15 something. Oh, you were way closer. You're damn right I was. Uh, all right. Tactic is mounting a little bit of a quiz comeback here. No more perfect games for me. I didn't I didn't win last week either, so no perfect games for me. Let's go through the records. Nerd Bomber, you're three and one. I'm three and one. Look at that. Tactic, you're two and three. Not ideal. But you're you're climbing climbing that ladder. Climbing back into it. Also, I didn't count the the week I wasn't here. So Tactic might be three and three. I don't really know how it works. Also, you're three and two. Yeah, Tactic one. He got that. I know, but I had a loss, but oh you're right. Three and two. Yeah, my fault. So Nerd Bomber is the new quiz queen. That's what I should have called whoop, it before. Quiz, quiz queen. There you have it, folks. Uh, thanks again to our Patreon subscribers for submitting that topic and then Nerd Bomber had to pick because you guys all tied. But nonetheless, thanks for the input on that. Thanks to everyone who joined us and listened for a while. If you are so inclined, head over to Twitter, chat with us there, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets and tune in next week. We'll be here. <laughs>